You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. Before I introduce my guests, I want to quickly give you all a heads up about an interview I did that will air this weekend, May 15th and May 16th, on the Black News Channel, the show The State of Play. It airs at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, May 15th, and Sunday, May 16th. I discuss a bit of my family's story of racial tragedy as written in my book, Open Wounds, and seen in my film, Open Wounds. In that interview, I also discuss the issue of intergenerational trauma from racism that includes the events that are happening today and caught on video. I'm excited for it, and I hope you're able to watch the show. This week, I want to introduce you to two of my friends. They are an amazing couple that have accomplished some amazing things in sports, in ministry, and in their community. My friends Byron and Annette Davis are two people that I don't want to just hang with and talk to, but also I want to learn from them. I'll give you a snapshot of their resumes so you can understand uh, what I mean by great and amazing. Byron was an eight-time NCAA All-American at UCLA in swimming, and he was a finalist at the U.S. Olympic Trials in the 100-meter butterfly in 1996. He would have made history by becoming the first African-American to make the U.S. Olympic men's swimming team, but he fell short by three-tenths of a second. He was a pastor for a number of years, which is when we met. He's a life coach and most recently was a swim coach at the Masters University. Annette is just as accomplished. She's a member of the UCLA Sports Hall of Fame. In high school, she was the 1988 excuse me, and 1989 CIF Player of the Year. Those who are in California, they know how big of a deal that is. CIF stands for California Interscholastic Federation. At UCLA, she was the Pac-10 Freshman of the Year in 1991. She was an All-American in 1992 and 1994. She then teamed up with Jenny Johnson Jordan on the Pro Beach Volleyball Tour and became the winningest team in 1999. They won the silver medal at the 1999 World Championships, and in 2000, they represented the U.S. in the Olympics for beach volleyball and came in fifth. They ended the 89-game win streak of Kerry Walsh Jennings and Misty May Trainer. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Misty May Trainer in 2004. Anybody who's watched pro volleyball back in the day or years ago, you 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 would know who Kerry Walsh and Misty May are. With all that said, Byron and Annette are as amazing as as human beings as they are athletes. Two great kids, Maya and Victoria, great athletes in their own right. But I'm even more impressed by who they are, the high character and wisdom they exude. And I'm especially appreciative of the sincere friends they've been to me over the years. They are mentors to many people, whether it be individuals or couples. They coach, Annette still coaches at the Masters University. Byron was coaching swimming at the Masters University. They're just two amazing people and I'm excited to have them on the show today, this week. So sit back and, um, and just glean, just glean from their wisdom, their insights, their stories. 
Byron and Annette Davis, two of my good friends, welcome to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr. Glad to have you, you both here. I think we'll have fun in this conversation. Um, I, I want everyone to, to know who you are and all the amazing things that you've done in your lives. Um, I think I'm, I'm probably the influence on the amazing things you've done in your lives. I think you just took <laughs> yeah. off once we met. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I know you, you you both pretty pretty well, and I'm sure there's some things I want to learn in this conversation. But what I want to start with um, letting people get to know who you are, as I do each each episode. You 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 both compete in in sports in two sports, and you made your mark in in sports where there are not many African Americans represented necessarily. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll get into that in just a second. But tell us about who you are and, and, and what, what, what led you, what, what's your background and what led you to take up these sports, uh, which we'll get into in a second, swimming and volleyball. Um, tell, us, tell, us, tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Well, I'll, I'll go first, try to be tight, you know, but um, I was born and raised in uh, inner city of East Cleveland, Ohio. And um, my mom at an early age knew that she would have to get me and my best friend Lamar, uh, you know, out of the hood, you know, every Saturday and and all, um, if if we had any chance of uh, of not getting involved in the wrong element. And so she was dedicated, man, from from the very beginning, to uh, showing us what the world looked like you know, six miles outside the radius of our neighborhood. I mean, I can remember at an early age, my mom just uh, taking us to see the Cleveland Orchestra, uh, going to the art museum. Um, uh, but but one program in particular, she got us involved in that really introduced me to the sport of swimming. And that was a, a program back in the day called Gray Y. So you had the east side of Cleveland, the west side of Cleveland, white guys on one side, black guys on the other side, you know, doing this. And the city created a program called Gray Y where they would use the banner of sport to bring, you know, these two neighborhoods together. And, uh, and so we would, on every Saturday, we would come together and, um, and we would do sports like field hockey, basketball, um, baseball, uh, you know, uh, swimming, everything, man. Um, and uh, I just remember the one time I got in the water uh, I knew that this was home. It felt like home to me. And um, and when I started swimming, I wasn't the best. I wasn't very good at it at all for the first two or three years of my um, you know career in swimming. But uh, for what, whatever reason, swimming resonated with me. And it was it was one of those sports that took a hold of me. I didn't find swimming. Swimming actually found me. And uh, it was through that platform that I was able to kind of discover myself. And, um, and it was a way for me to escape because with swimming um, at an early age, I found myself traveling not just all around the city, but all around the state and soon all around the country. And, um, and I, just, I just stayed with it because it just offered me um, you know, so much and I just had a lot of fun. When you, look back at, when you look back at it and you think about how it felt like home, have you ever figured out why it felt like home for you? You know what, man? I'm glad you asked that question. Yes, um, it felt like home for a few reasons. Um, number one, it was I was introduced to the sport at a time where, 
again, I think I, I praise God for my mom because I think she was very aware and in tune with how I was developing as a young guy, you know, not long before um, I started swimming, uh, my, my father died. Uh, he was actually mm -hmm. shot, um, you know, tied uh, execution style to his bedpost and shot in the head. And, um, and, mm -hmm. and I was going through a rough patch in my life. And, um, you know, swimming allowed me to number one, get lost. Cause when you're, when you're swimming, you don't have to talk to anybody. And you can yell and scream. And, you know, when I would work hard, I just remember times where um, I was crying, man. I never I never shared anything, but, you know, my, my, my goggles would fill up with water just because it was an outlet for me. And, um, and so that was number one. It was an escape and it was an outlet. Number two, um, I, was, I, I showed promise and talent for it, you know, pretty soon. And again, while I wasn't necessarily the best right out of the gate, I saw myself incrementally getting better and better and better. And that with those incremental and small wins created a momentum that motivated me to continue, you know? And so um, I, I think that was, that was a big thing. And then lastly, um, you know, I didn't have language when I was younger to describe this, but, you know, looking back, knowing now, I realized that, that my learning style was visually kinesthetic. You know, if you just sat me in a classroom and I had to listen to a teacher or a professor talk, I didn't learn very well, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I realized for me, if you could, if you could give me an opportunity to see someone demonstrate something, and then give me the immediate opportunity to actually physically go through it, um, I could learn it. And um, and I discovered that in swimming. Swimming allowed me to do that. I used my ability to look at other people, even at meets. I would watch people better than me and pick up what they were doing differently and then immediately apply it. And that success translated into the classroom because now I took that awareness into the classroom and I began to, to own my experience in the classroom by asking questions, doing demonstrations on the board and all. Cause I knew that if I could just see it and then do it, I could get it. And so swimming really opened that door for me. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> now it all makes sense. That that that's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, you you are the, the 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 essence of what it means to be a disciple, to imitate, to see mm -hmm. it, pick it up, do it, and practice it and perfect yeah. it. We'll come back. We'll probably come back to that later. Annette, tell yeah. us about the amazing, I, I still want my autograph. I've been asking for an autograph <laughs> for about 15 years and I, I won't, she won't give me an autograph, y'all. I don't know what the deal is, but um, tell us about your, your foundations, your, your background. What, what got you into volleyball? Um, I grew up in a sports family. So one of those homes where every weekend, like we love sports, all sports and my parents and their friends, they'd either have everyone over our house or we'd go over someone else's home and we would just hang out all weekend. They'd play cards uh, to the wee hours of the morning and just watch sports all day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And so I was kind of, I think, indoctrined to love sports because of that whole environment. Um, and before I was born, way before I was born, my dad played in the NBA for a couple of years for the New York Knicks. And um, so he also was a coach for many, many years. And What's your dad's name? Uh, Cleveland Buckner. So he played in that 100-point game of uh, Wilt Chamberlain. 
Really? <laughs> against, yeah, on the other team. But, was he guard? Uh, was he guarding Wilt? <laughs> <laughs> at one point, yeah, he was, and he said that night he said the basket was big for everyone because he scored like thirty something. Oh wow! His average was probably like eleven or something like that. So he's like, yeah, the basket was big for everybody that night. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, you know, just growing up in that environment, and then I have two older siblings who also played sports. Um. My brother played basketball, my sister played basketball and volleyball. And that was kind of my first introduction to volleyball. Um, but I played a lot of other sports growing up, you know, softball, tennis, um, basketball, just kind of getting my hands and everything to see kind of what, what worked, what I liked. Um, but I think um, watching Big Sister play volleyball, that's where I fell in love with it. Um, I was able to, because she's 10 years older than I am, so I would go and shag balls for her team, and I watched her play, and I just thought it was, the, it, you know, I just looked fun. Um, and then when I started playing the other sports um, growing up, you know, basketball was, I love it. It's one of my favorite sports to watch, but it's too much running, too much physical contact. <laughs> but volleyball, I don't know, I think there was a grace and a power to it, and I think I fell in love with those two things yeah that that's awesome too i, I I've, i'm loving this already i'm gonna have fun in this this episode you know <laughs> what was interesting you said you fell in love with vo volleyball because you, your sister was was playing um my my best sport most natural sport would be football mm. you know my uncles played in the nfl and so i and my dad was was great so i wanted to play football like them my love was basketball and that's why I went down that route. I, 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 I love practice. I love pickup. I hated football practice. I just wanted to play in a game. So I'm curious. My question for you, Annette, is were you better at basketball? And you just had this, you wanted to follow in your sister's footsteps and, and those other reasons you gave? Or was volleyball actually your best sport? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, if you would ask me, I'm probably good at the modesty comes through yeah i see i see <laughs> no but um i don't i just i think i could have played either one right i just i love i don't i didn't love the i didn't like the contact though okay. so i loved you know I, of course i was tall so i'm a center i'm rebounding love yeah. that jumping over everyone grabbing balls um, so I love that kind of, that thing, but yeah, it was, it was too much running, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Who, who were your, your greatest influence for both of you, your greatest influences? I know, Annette, you mentioned your sister, um, any, any other influences in the sport itself or another player, someone you competed against anybody? Um, did you watch volleyball on, on television? You know, for me, I didn't. Um, I didn't um, really see besides her, she, you know, she did play in college. So besides seeing her teams play, um, it wasn't until I was in high school or no, I'm sorry, seventh grade. I went to a, a UCLA game and that was my first time seeing, you know, real big time NCAA D1 volleyball okay. and just seeing just a different level, even from my, you know, sister's games. Um, but I didn't really watch it on television. It was just kind of, um, 
just the experience of playing in, in youth and, you know, youth volleyball, I think that got me interested uh, more and more in playing club, that kind of thing, that kind of exposure. Yeah, I wish I would have. Looking back like now, I love it. I love watching it. But I didn't back then. And I don't know that it was really on TV, right? Yeah, Too yeah. much. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> Byron, who's well, your me, influence? Well, actually, for me, um, like Annette, I, I loved a lot of sports. And um, in addition to swimming, you know, moving into high school, I played football and ran track. But interesting enough, um, my, my first, uh, I guess, sports hero was Dr. J. Uh, and, mine, yeah. Uh, I loved I, I because again, I, I saw him reinvent the sport. And I think those those athletes who redefined their position or the sports were the ones I gravitated to. Even even guys that are little known like World Be Free, you know, back in uh, you know, Cleveland. Yeah, World Be. Yeah, you know, just people who were unorthodox or who brought something different to the game attracted me. And uh, and I was always attracted to the underdog of some way, shape or form. Uh, and also, no matter what the sport. And because I love sports, my favorite TV show growing up was Why World, World of Sports. I used to remember after church, man, um, trying to pull my mom, you know, from talking to everybody. Right. Yep, because yep, yep. we needed to get home. Um, because the wide world of sports was about to come on. And I didn't care what they were showing at that time. I just loved watching sports. And I think um, just seeing people at the top of their game expressing freedom, um, I guess, uh, again, it was a way of escape for me. And, uh, and, and I enjoyed it. I lost myself, um, you know, uh, vicariously in, in the expression of sport when other people at the highest level would participate. For, for those of you who are youngsters listening to this wide world of sports, it's kind of the precursor to ESPN. Mm -hmm. And so, but it wasn't 24 hours a day, seven days a no. week. It was weekends. Yeah. And so you couldn't wait. I mean, it could be someone, someone on there like Evil Knievel yep. doing something. <laughs> and we couldn't wait. We just wanted to see sports. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. You, you use the term escape and get lost in many times. And I know it's very specific to, to your story, Byron. But for a lot of athletes, particularly athletes of color, especially black athletes and, and poor, poor athletes of all races, including white, sports is that escape. It, it, is, it is so necessary. Um, it, it allows us um, to, to not only escape, but to, I put a word to your, what you shared earlier about incrementally getting better and better and you felt you kind of good about yourself. It, 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 it's a... A, a source of affirmation mm. you know you, you don't get it you may not someone may not get it at home they may not do well in the classroom mm -hmm. um they may not be you know doing well with the opposite sex you know you're growing up you wish this person liked you or these girls or guys liked you or whatever but sports can be that realm where you can define who you are you can um be somebody for lack of a better term um when you think about how valuable sports has been for you and the opportunities as they were back then um, in the 40s when you were young. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, y'all. But when we were young, you know, the opportunities were, were different. 
and that that was kind of like where we put our focus um, a lot of times sports and with what's happening today do you see the same do you see it in the same way sports in the same way there are much more opportunities for um, people of color black folks than there than there were in the past but do you still see sports today both for both of you as that that kind of escape um that place you can get lost in and get that affirmation do you still still think it has the same effect decades mm-hmm. later yeah. okay you know yes yeah i i i see it as a, as a huge escape and what i find um interesting phil that's a very good question because uh i'm you're drawing out the anthropologist in me mm-hmm. in that uh when i look at sport across the world across the globe um when you when you see whether it's soccer or squash or baseball um you know, you, you, there is a correlation between um, the uh, socioeconomic condition of, of an athlete and their drive to be the best in that particular sport or discipline. There, there's, uh, there, there seems to always be and, and an explosion or a growth in a the sport, there's usually a correlation there. And, um, and, and so I think on a global sense, you, you see people seeing sports as a very clear road out of where they are and an escape not just internally but but really literally from their environment so so i i do think you you definitely see that now i think it it's changed a lot today in in america and first world countries you know um because <coughs> athletes today i think have more pulling at them and uh and and their focus and attention has to be guarded a lot more. You know, there's there's social media, all types of platforms that they can be distracted with, and um, if if you don't know how to balance uh, the what you do on your platform and the spotlight of the platform, if you don't if you don't know how to manage those two dynamics, then then I I, I definitely see it can be a lot harder for for athletes to to really ex, uh, excel, but. Um, you know, especially in, in, in America, but but I, I still think that it, it definitely is, uh, you know, one, uh, an avenue out. Um, I don't think that's ever changed. Um, but at the same time, I think that there are more variables and dynamics at play now than back when Annette and I and, and you were, were playing sports. I mean, you know, here's an old school thing, and I'll shut up, is back in the day, you know, you, you, you did it because you loved it. You loved the sport right? You, you did it out of the love of the sport. Nowadays, um, yeah, you can make that argument, but, but I think there are other uh, motivating factors that, that may come into play that, again, may, may pull athletes in many different directions. Oh, absolutely. I, I think the commercialization of, the, of sports in general mm-hmm. is this machine that begins, and you, you both have kids that have gone, have gone and are going through this process, but if, if we're not careful, this commercialization, people start to see talent and skills at a very young age and they just try to pounce on that. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different ball game. It's this, this, this machine now. And, and you're right, back in the day, it doesn't matter. You just give me a basketball and a, 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 a tire rim nailed to a wooden, ba- a wooden piece of plywood and, and we're good, you know? I'm putting crates up in the back Crates, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it all, man. Cutting the hole out. And, it, you know, in volleyball, we don't see as many, at least I don't. I could be wrong. 
Um, but at least when I was coming up, we didn't see as many African-American uh, men and, or women um, competing in volleyball, although it was in our school. I was actually pretty good at volleyball, too. I, I kind of wanted to play, but we didn't have, we didn't have a men's volleyball team. Um, cause I, could, I could jump. So I, I loved, you know, play, playing the game when we did for, for in middle school. Um, do you think it's the same? Do you think that particular sport um, there is, it, it's an escape for people. It, it's a way out for people. Um, like say basketball being something that's more prevalent in the, in urban communities and in lower income communities. Yeah. I don't know that I would say it's a, a way out, you know, there's basketball, you look at that and you, you know, what kids see is they see the NBA, right. And they mm -hmm. think, or football, they see the NFL and they think this is my way out of whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to help my mom. I want to help my family, that kind of thing. And volleyball, you know, it's, it's not going to get you rich, <laughs> yeah. you know, unless, unless you're one of the top players, it's still not going to get you rich. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So I think um, for, on the volleyball side, if, you know, the NCAA uh, D1 championships just came, uh, was just a week or week or two ago. If you looked at those, um, the tournament, there are so many African-American girls, like more than I think I've ever seen, playing uh -huh. on these different teams all around the, the country. They were balling, too. They were balling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was fun to watch. And I think for, you know, younger kids, it's a way to get to college. So, okay. yes, that is a way out. Right. So you play really well. You might get a scholarship to wherever you want to go and further your life in, your, in that way. So, um so yeah, in a sense, yes, but yeah. in a different way. In a different way. Some other sort. So, so, yeah. so it is a it is still a tool though. It is still this way, like cool. I'm gonna yeah. use this to to for upward exactly. mobility in a sense. But exactly. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Now I I, I really want people to to understand who we really because you guys haven't really delved into yet who you are. I don't know if my listeners really understand who you are. Um I don't I didn't have to do much research. You know, I, I know you guys. Um, I want you to, to let them know because Byron, and I, I, I tease him all the time, um, <laughs> this clown misses the Olympics by like what, 0 0.1, 0 0.3, tenths of a second, something like that, years ago. I, I want you to talk about, because you are two of the tops, top athletes in your field, historically. Um, Annette is a Hall of Fame UCLA Hall of Fame volleyball player, uh, one of the she so she can say you can be one of the tops in the world and still not be rich at this thing because <laughs> she was one of the the top volleyball players in the world. Um, I want people to understand the impact of that. Um, you know, I got friends in high places, so I want y'all to talk about you know who you are and, and and what was the experience like being a black swimmer and a black vol like you said. You just saw this year more black volleyball players than you'd ever seen before. So I would imagine back in the day, um, in, in the in the 50s when you were young and, and playing. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> there weren't many. So tell us about your experience as black athletes, as African American athletes. Because I want people to understand how race impacts every aspect of, of our society. That's the point of my podcast, Intersections. And so this series on sports, I want people to get that, 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 that um, understanding as well. So tell us your experience 
being one of the top athletes and being, you know, in your, in your field um, during the course of your career. Don't be, don't, don't be <laughs> one at a time, one at a time. Okay, she likes the back cleanup. She likes, you know. Hey, that's smart though. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'll tell you. Um, you know, back in the the eighties, when I was, you know, an age group swimmer, you know, and I got to put the dates in correct because people might think it's <laughs> about the fifties. No, but but back in the eighties, when I was growing up, um, you know, in age group swimming, man, I'll, I'll tell you just a, a quick story. I remember uh, when. Um, by the time I was 12 years old, uh, I really started to get national um, attention. I, I started becoming and, and falling in the top 20 in the nation in my for my age group. United States swimming, and even to this day, uh, they do a very good job at uh, you know athletes who are at each age group. Um, they'll 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 post out and they'll they'll identify. And because swimming is so objective, it's a it's a time. And those times that you that you clock go immediately to United States swimming. So they know how to track athletes very, very well. And one of the things that they would do to incentivize young athletes is every quarter they would send out these certificates. If you were top 20 in your age group, you would get these these certificates that would tell you, you know, top 20 in the nation, top 10 in the nation. And all. And I remember um, age 12 was kind of the year I broke out and, and I, I started to get top 10 in the nation in my age group. And I remember one summer meet, I was invited onto a travel team uh, in Ohio, an all-star team, and we traveled to K Kentucky. And uh, I, rem I remember there was a 50-meter pool in the middle of this cornfield. I mean, <laughs> we drove up, and I was like, where are we, you know? And it was this 50-meter this, this pool, and uh, we were going to compete in this invitational. And I'll never forget the day, uh, that, that day where my coaches, uh, or my coach, um, went to to sign in all of his swimmers. And um, when he got to my name um, and all of my events, uh, when when the uh, the meet organizers saw who I was, they didn't believe the times on the page. they They looked at it and they didn't they were not going to seed me in the right uh, order. And for for swimming, you know, it's called circle seeding and all. And so you know the top swimmer gets the top lane. Right. And then and then it goes heat by heat by heat downward. Um, they they refused to put me in the top heats um, because they didn't believe that I was that fast. And, wow. and my coach, I remember him just I just remember him. He, he was a, he was a white guy, uh, tall mullet, Fu Manchu. <laughs> he was going off on these people. And um, and finally he was like, all right, just just put him in i mean the, the 50 free was the first event and that um for those of you who don't know 50 free is just one lap um in a 50 yard pool it's the sprint um of of, of swimming um it's like the 100 in, in in track and uh and so i got up and swam and um and i swam in the first heat okay which is the slowest heat and um and because they didn't believe me they didn't believe that, that those are my times i swam in the first heat and just crushed it. And that 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 time actually was the fastest time in the heats that morning. So I, I ended up coming back that evening, swimming in the finals and winning. And then um, after that, uh, they seated me correctly. And I ended up winning high point of the meet, meaning the highest scoring athlete at the meet. But, but again, I'll never forget that, that time where my coach literally had to fight 
because they didn't believe a black boy from uh, from Cleveland uh, really really could swim that fast. And um, it, it was an interesting experience for me. Now, now w- what did that do? Because going back to what we said about the affirmation of swimming, what did that do to you? This is a place where you felt at home. This is safe because home means safe, mm-hmm. right? Even though water by nature is not stable, it's fluid, um, but it's safe for you. It was a place where you got affirmation. And then you experienced this. What did it do for you in that moment in terms of the, the affirming part? And then how has that played out later on in your life, do you think? Yeah, for me, I think, again, intuitively, um, what I, I loved about the sport of swimming was that it was objective. All I, all I needed was a shot, right? All I needed was give me entrance into the, into the, the sport, you know, let me compete. And I knew that I could hold my own and all. And so for me, it just gave me motivation to prove that which I already knew on the inside, that I could compete and even possibly win at that age. And so for me, it was fun. It was fun. And what was also beautiful, man, and I'll, I'll share this. And again, I'm putting words uh, to this now, looking at 20, you know, hindsight's 2020. It's a beautiful thing when you see ridicule and scorn turn into admiration and praise. By the end of that meet, you know, I had white parents coming up to me, you know, just high-fiving me and, and, you know, giving me, you know, just celebrating the fact that I did well. And so there were a lot of people in there who, who saw that and they were, um, they were inspired and motivated. You know, but at the same time, I, I'll never forget this. One of my events, man, um, I remember I, I, I was the 100 IM. I got out and I finished the race and um, I was I was literally drying off. And another guy that was right next to me in the lane came in and I'll never forget his father comes out of the stands and uh, white, white, big, burly guy got out of the stands, literally pulled his son out by his ears, his head, pulled him out of his head, um, out of the water and said, and I'm, I'm standing right here, right? Drying off. He said, if you ever let that nigga beat you again or ever let a nigga beat you again, and uh, I will never, I'll never forget that. I'll never, ever forget that, uh, you know, I felt bad for that, that guy, you know, because, you know, it was like this guy's getting, being punished you know, for something he had no control over. And, um, and so it, it, even in that moment, gave me um, compassion for this kid who obviously was growing up in a very racist household. Um, home, household. But, uh, but that's one of those other things. Um, I know it's a long story, but, but I, I, it empowered me because um, it, was, it was a sport that I could literally prove that I was one of the best, if not the best in, in, that, in that particular event. See, <laughs> <laughs> You're way better than me, bro. Uh, Even back then. Yeah. Cause one, I wouldn't have been thinking about him. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't have gotten the the what the father said out of my head. Yeah. That, well, I never forgot it. I mean, that that that, would, that just shocked me. You know. Um. But what bothers me is the idea. Again, you're better than me in this. Is you had to prove yourself just to get accepted you know the parents coming out to high five you but 
just a few hours earlier, they wouldn't they wouldn't believe they didn't believe that you had the times that you had. So it's this extra being black is about this extra layer of proving oneself, even in a sport as objective as swimming. The time is there. My name is Byron Davis. I swam this. We don't believe you. Now that's a, that's something we can talk about a little later because you know that's a big deal for me is this extra layer of what it means to be black in this country is but I got to still prove myself. Um I still I've still experienced it in in in, in preaching going to different churches. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a whole other I don't, I'm di- I digress. Annette, Tell us about your experience as this amazing volleyball player, um, the MJ of volleyball. Did you have any similar experiences? Did you feel like you had to break stereotypes to prove yourself? What was it like being an African-American young lady um, competing and woman competing in that sport? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I had a lot of experiences like, you know, like Byron had. Um, and, and maybe it's because I, um, I don't know, I think when I'm in, when I'm in it, I'm in it. So a lot of the periphery stuff I'm not involved in, I'm not looking over here or talking, you know, I had my, my, my friends, you know, my team was my, my group of friends. I had no problems with them, um, no matter where I was playing. Um, you know, when I went to UCLA, you know, we had four Afri- African-American girls on our team, you know, we bonded and that was different experience for me because prior to that, I was always the only one, whether it was at our club or on a team. So that was a different experience. And then going into the beach realm, I'm not a beach person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I was never one to hang out at the beach. So I think for me, it was a learning experience of what to do. Um, how do people act? What do they wear? You know, I'm wearing tennis shoes on the in the sand. <laughs> That's not appropriate. <laughs> um, you know, sand does, you know, get stuck in your hair a little different than my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, it was a learning curve, right? Going from indoor to the whole beach scene, people hanging out in the sun, getting the rays, and I'm trying to cover up, get under an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't feel like, um, I at least I didn't feel for the most part, any different, anyone looking at me different, except for one time. There was only one time I, I feel like I wasn't sure, is this a race thing or is this a, I'm a new, we're new thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when we first came into um, the professional tour, um, there were, we kind of rate, we went, raised up pretty fast. By our third event, we made it to the finals. So first event, we didn't qualify. Second event, I think we're seventh or ninth. Third event, we made it to the finals. And your partner was African-American. And my partner was African-American as well. So Who's um, your partner? Jenny Johnson Jordan. Okay, okay. Yes. Give us some shout out. <laughs> Give us a shout out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were hanging out and 
someone's like pouring water on us from above in the bleachers. And we're like, what is going on? And there we hear this giggling going on and water's being poured on us. And, you know, again, it was one of those things is this, we didn't know what that was, you know, it could have been many things, Yeah, yeah. but um, I think that was our only experience of something like this isn't right. Um, uh, but, um, you know, obviously we, we traveled around the world in trying to make the Olympics. And so, you know, we had experiences in other countries as far as, you know, you go to China, you're the only black brown person around. So everyone's taking pictures of you wanting, you know, little kids coming up, trying to touch your skin, skin. (laughs) like seeing, is it real? Is it going to (laughs) rub off that kind of thing? So, you know, there, those are things that, you know, other people really didn't experience like, like we did. Um, but not necessarily racist. Exactly. Yeah. Not racist. But I do know, um, I was telling Byron that I was reading about the world tour right now. They were in Mexico and there was this kind of incident at this hotel with one of the brown skin players. This is 2021. This is a couple of weeks ago. Right. Mm. And the waiter was calling him. He, he's Muslim and he doesn't eat pork and he wanted to order some turkey breast and pasta and then the guy was saying to him you know oh monkey something about the monkey and the monkey doesn't want meat they got that person kicked out fired um because he put a a stink about it but this was like two weeks ago yeah so you know obviously there's things that people i haven't dealt with that praise the lord but i you know you do hear of things and thankfully you know at using as an African-American athlete, when we would go and do clinics and, um, you know, just being there, other Black people would gravitate to our court to cheer us on, which was great. You know, we love those things. And in clinics, you know, we just really want to encourage because they would bring inner city youth in Mm -hmm. before our events. But it was great to be there just to show like kind of like we talked about earlier that there are other opportunities. You don't just have to play basketball. You don't have to just do this. And just like for me, seeing my sister do this thing, I don't know that I would have gone into it had I not seen her. Had you not seen it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do, Do you think being in California versus Byron being in the Midwest may have played a part in not having some of those same experiences that he did? Do you think location played a part in that? Yeah, it could have. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think Mm -hmm. um, being here, you know, things are, things are definitely different. I think in California, people are seem to be a little more accepting and, and things like that. So not to say that California Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me clarify. <laughs> okay. let, let me clarify because I've had some of the most blatantly racist experiences here in California that I never had back east in yeah. the south, South Carolina, and most were on church campuses, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So people think coming out to California, it's all great. Like, nah, it, it's just covered up a yeah. lot more, <laughs> you oh, yeah. know. So I'm going to transition a little bit. And I think Annette set me up good. She said, praise the Lord. So that's a good transition. (laughs) (laughs) How much did your faith play into 
sports for you growing up and I guess later on in life, but how much did your faith play in, into it? Whether it's the, the training, the nurturing, the focus, um, what the motivation. Mm-hmm. You know what? Um, my either sophomore or junior year in high school, one, I was always involved heavily in youth group in my church. But but what but my experience as a, a Christian, you know, young Christian growing up and, and an athlete were kind of separate. And um, it didn't c- collide or come together until my junior year. I think it was either my sophomore, junior, I forget exactly when um, I made my first um, Olympic sports festival team. And, um, and that, that was back in, in the day where, again, uh, it was like the junior Olympics for sports. And so um, the top athletes and all of the, 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 the top 18 and under athletes and all the sports across the country would come together and they would do this big giant festival sports, um, you know, parade in like the Olympics, the ceremonies, it was really, it was huge. And um, I remember there uh, a guy holding chapel for all of the athletes. And, um, and he was on staff at, uh, with AIA, Athletes in Action. And, um, and that week that I was there, um, I thought it was cool because that was the first time that I ever saw someone um, combine the two together. It never occurred to me, it wasn't that I didn't want to, but it never occurred to me to, uh, to, to have my faith and my, my, my expression of sport be one and the same, be intertwined. And I learned his name was uh, Craig. And I'll, I'll never forget Craig uh, just talking about you know, your sport you know, as an outward expression. It could be an outward expression of worship and praise to God. And, uh, and I was fired up, man, so much so that one of the, the deciding factors and why I even chose UCLA to, to, to swim was because I, I found out that they had an Athletes in Action um, ministry on campus you know, um, because that, that experience at the Olympic sports festival, um, really inspired me and, and, and it it allowed me to see that, wow, I could, my God could honor, I could honor God with, with, with my sport, you know, that, um, because beforehand I was growing up with kind of bad theology, you know, um, if you, if you couldn't in the church, you couldn't do your thing, what you were talented with in the church, then it was kind of put down. You know, that's, that's, that's the church I grew up in. And, um, and so sports wasn't really seen as, as something that you could honor God with, you know, it was, it was seen more as a distraction, you know, and an invitation into the world than it was, you know, how do you use this to one, cultivate your own faith and two, use it as a platform to draw others closer to God. That was never, ever taught to me until that point. Um, but, but it was until then when, when Craig, you know, did those chapels that, uh, that my, my worlds came together. Yeah. As you were talking, I wish I had some of that AIA back in the day when I was in school. <laughs> I, I needed it, bro. I was straight heathen <laughs> in the worst way. Oh, and, and then how about you? Uh, I, similar, similar to him, but, um, in, you know, in high school, like, like Byron, I did, I wasn't even thinking about the two and together and how it works. Um, but it but, wasn't until. But you were a Christian. I was a Christian. Christian. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was a Christian, but it wasn't until college 
when I experienced athletes in action at UCLA and oh. talking about it. Mm. <laughs> athletes in action, dating service. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you were discipled also one-on-one if you chose to be, and mm-hmm. then they had weekly Bible studies and things like that. So, and they had summer camp that we both went to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we both went to, and I think at those events and those meetings, we found out more about, you know, about sport and how we use um, that to glorify Christ. Like, you know, everything that Byron said. And one thing that I would do just as a reminder for myself, because, you know, you get so into the game or so focused and then you, you know, you are, sometimes you don't, you um, remember like what am I here for what am I playing for that kind of thing so we would have little symbols to remind us whether it was like the crosses in the net or whether for me I would I got a tattoo on my on my uh wrist as I when I got older but I would draw this cross here before I would play back Mm. when I was like I'm never getting a tattoo (laughs) (laughs) but I would draw it as a reminder because if I'm like uh you know putting my fist up you know oh I see oh okay relax you know calm down what am I doing um you know character matters all these things um I think I was reminded of when I would write you know either a little verse or a little or a little cross and that kind of thing to get focused back um in my sport yeah Mm. And it was great. You know, obviously the better you, the more you do, the better you do as well. You do have a platform, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was a great opportunity in times of when we were interviewed for newspaper articles. I was just looking back at some old stuff the other day. I can't believe how much they actually wrote <laughs> about my faith. Oh, I was wow. like, wow, you know, and the big newspapers and stuff. So it was really, um, instrumental i think as i as i learned as i grew yeah yeah you know i i as i'm listening to to both of you and i grew up in the church but i tell people when i left when i when i graduated from high school i graduated from church mm-hmm. i didn't go back to church for about 5 years i had a friend of mine um she took me to church my 5th year away from home so mm-hmm. i had already finished playing ball and i was still living in greensboro and i went to church that one time and I knew then I wasn't ready to surrender my life. I, all I could think about was wanting to play basketball professionally. But I never made that connection either. I mean, I never, I didn't have the rigid, the strict, um, if you played sports, it wasn't a way of glorifying God. It just never, we just never thought about that. Again, my two uncles were drafted in the NFL. My dad was a football player. I came from that family and that, that my hometown was, sports was, was, was big, especially, especially football. So I never really had that um, taught to me, but I never thought about combining the two. I never thought about an expression of worship, uh, a way of honoring God with, with sports. Um, we were cussing and all kind of stuff on, on the court, man. It, it was Steve, no honoring God. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Byron, you, you mentioned to me once before that you had a theology of sports, right? Mm-hmm. Um do you want to delve into that? You know, I, I did a recently, last year actually, I did a directed reading um, study on a theology of play and sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to give you an opportunity to share what are some of your thoughts on, on your theology of sport? How would you 
school someone yeah. um, in, in, that, in that area. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, I really see, and um, I'm, I've just begun over the last few years to cultivate, you know, this, this, the, the ideas around this, but, you know, in, in its most basic form, because sport is a microcosm of life, you know, you, if you, no matter what the, the, the sport is or, or the discipline is, um, you experience, you know, all of the different nuances and facets of life. You, you deal with the highs and the lows. You deal with the unexpected. You deal with um, the inner tension and dissonance of, of pride and ego. And, and, and you wrestle with fear and shame. And, and you, you, you have to push past your comfort zones in order to get better. You know, there's, there's levels of things that are within your control and outside of your control. So all of these dynamics that we experience in life, sports creates a unique and special platform that allows all of that to be accelerated and intensified in a particular game or match or event, right? So uh, because of that, sports can be, it lends itself very well to practicing spiritual disciplines and, uh, and, and being able to use the sports as a, an antagonist or an agent, um, a catalyst, if you will, that enhances your relationship with the Lord. And um, the beautiful thing about that is that if you, if you allow that to happen, then all of the stuff that we say needs to go into an athlete becoming world-class starts to happen naturally because you are immediately held to a higher standard of living, higher standard of life, because God calls us to a higher standard. And if you begin to express and live for God in your sport, then you're going to continue to, to practice all of the tangibles and intangibles necessary to, uh, to become the best you can be in that sport. So so I really do see, and, and I, I, I make this argument, I'm beginning to advance this argument that if, if you are truly, if you truly love God and you truly want to surrender to him and you are an athlete, then um, there's no reason why you shouldn't be one of the top in your, in your sport at any level, right? I'm not just talking about, I'm not saying that everybody that goes pro have to be Christian, right? <laughs> but I am saying that if you are fully devoted follower of Jesus, then, then your level of play, um, you know, should should be a correlation to that. And so, uh, so I, I really, I really do feel that that sports gives you a context to really, really grow and even accelerate your relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. One of the things to, to add to to your point. One of the things that that I learned um, is that we're we're wired, we're made, we're built, designed by God to play. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I'm trying to explore, and it's going to, it's going to segue into this next question. But we're at the essence of play is joy. Yeah. If you go back to being kids, and and we go going back to what you said earlier, we played a game back in the day, and I would imagine today as well, many today as well, because we love the game. Why? It brings us joy to just yeah. get out there and play with the rules with competition still. Now we get into the bureaucracy and institutionalization of sports and rules and leagues and all that money, economics. That can change things, but that's a whole nother conversation um, or deeper conversation. But but I, I really want people to, to hear what you're saying in terms of um, 
being able to honor God with, because what you're talking about is like, it's a practical theology. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't have to be this separate thing. Like, oh, I'm a Christian here. I do church this way or live this way. In sports, I'm this gladiator. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in some ways you can still be a gladiator and still, you know, yeah. be God honoring in your sport. But I also want people to not lose sight of the joy, the essence of play. Yeah. And that's that joy. And I mean, it ties into why many people use it as an escape because it's something that brings joy. And that's mm-hmm. the foundation of, of, of everything that we do. You talk about being a microcosm of life. I don't think we play enough mm-hmm. as adults. I don't think whether it's a card, whether it's card games, board games, or volleyball, or swimming, or basketball. I think as we get older, we stop playing, and that's where sports really. That's why we think about why we're so, like, this this generating so much revenue, sports, the sports industry. Why? Yeah. Because we love to play, mm-hmm. or we love to watch people playing. Because we get to imagine and we get to go into a space, right? And create where rules are created. It's, a, it's, a, it's an escape, but we get to imagine and play or live vicariously through other people playing. And that's the power of sport to me. That's why I think it's important that yeah. people really hear um, your stories as well. You want to you say more? No, it, it, I'm just uh, continuing to riff off of what you're saying with, with the whole idea of joy and love. Um, you know, with sports, you know, the, the four precepts of love is truth, simplicity, discipline, and conviction. You know, say, these, say, that, say it again. So, so now there, I'm, I'm trying to create language around this, but um, there, the four precepts um, to love in, in the context of sport and life are truth, simplicity, discipline, and conviction. Okay. If, if you, if, if in the expression of love and then invite to love and to be loved, all right, I don't want to get too deep um, here, but the, the act of loving and to be loved in, in sports, the first thing that, that your sport will knock you over the head with is truth, okay? If you, if you pour yourself into it and you give your all into that sport, immediately you're going to find out just how good or not so good you are in that moment, right? There's truth there. But when you are able to face the truth in, in a, in, with a humble, remaining humble and hungry, then that truth immediately creates and demands a choice. In that moment, you, you have to decide whether or not you're going to leverage the truth to get better or to use the truth as an excuse to get worse, right? So, so our, our expression of love immediately presents us with truth. Mm. And then simplicity. We recognize that, that any challenges that we face, all of a sudden, when you deal with challenges, to avoid overwhelm, what do we naturally want to do? Simplify. Mm-hmm. Let's break things down to their fundamental levels, right? Let, let's get back to the fundamentals. And so simplicity becomes really important. Uh, so true simpl- uh, simplicity, discipline. Discipline is nothing more than demonstrating your decision on a daily basis, daily right? Basis. So, so you're deciding, you've made a choice, you made a decision to do something, to be someone. And now every day you show up in your sport, you are literally demonstrating a previous decision you've already made. 
mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And with mm-hmm. that discipline, you know, that's when, again, we allow transformation and progression and getting better to take place. So you got truth, simplicity, discipline, and conviction. Mm-hmm. And this is where, again, conviction, I believe, overrides confidence. You don't have to be confident, yeah. you know, at first. But if you decide to, because a lot of times we can't be confident because we're not good at it. We don't have any background or or or, or track record to be confident in our in ourselves. But we can have conviction about what it is we're doing and who we're worshiping and celebrating as a result. So we can bring conviction into that uh, that context, no matter who we are or where we are and 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 you know what level we are. And by expressing love in those four dynamics. Again, I think, you know, we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And at the same time, we grow better in our sport. You're so deep. I know. He is so deep. Because <laughs> that sounds like some some uh, premarital counseling yeah. stuff, too. You talk about a micro, sport, sport being a microcosm. If what you're saying is true, and I believe it's true, mm-hmm. you can take the, that, that what you just shared is not just for sports. Mm-hmm. It can be for marriage. It could be for um, career, yeah. j- jobs. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That can that can transcend sport, but that that's a great breakdown. And do you want to add anything to that depth, oh, that no. deepness? It was pretty. It was pretty full. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to touch it either. <laughs> We're gonna leave it right there. Um, we talk about glorifying God in our sport. And I want both of you to chime in on this, um, and. You, you glorifying God in the way we play the sport in terms of character. And I want to talk about um, the, the, the potential to glorify God in activism as an athlete. Um, because a lot of people, you know, I, I wrote a paper a couple of years ago in response to this Fox commentator's comment towards LeBron James and Kevin Durant about shut up and dribble. And I took, you know, obviously took offense to that because people think that as athletes um, and this is this is central to my research people think that as athletes we we don't have agent moral agency we, we're supposed to be the entertainers right. just shut up and entertain especially as black athletes mm-hmm. um, you don't have a right you as, as, it's as if we forfeit moral agency when we become athletes especially when when money's involved I pay this ticket to come watch you play. I don't want to hear you talk. Just play, you know, just entertain me. Uh, help. This is my escape, blah, 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 whatever. Tell us about, give us your thoughts on athletes engaging in activism. Um, did you ever find yourself having to uh, to step in this realm as an athlete back in the day? Uh, just, just share some of your thoughts on what you're seeing with from Kaepernick kneeling to um, the, the hoodies when, after Trayvon was killed, the, the NBA players wore hoodies. Um, the, the soccer uh, players, women's soccer team, and they're, and they're kneeling. Everyone joining in on the kneeling protest for the, 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 the racism that we, we're seeing more of, not saying rise in. I think it's always been there. But the, 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 we're seeing it more. We're experiencing it. We're feeling it more as a, as a collective. Sh- share your thoughts on that and, and on, on activism, and especially as, as, as athletes of faith. I think it's, you know, I think it's a good thing. Um, you can't, 
uh, expect, I think, you know, yes, it's entertainment. It's a game. But these people are, we're people. (laughs) We're a whole person. You can't take (laughs) stuff out of us. And I think it's unfair for people to say, shut up and dribble, you know? Um, And they do have a platform. These athletes have a huge platform. And what, to me, I think, what better time and place to do it (laughs) and, and way to use your platform is to help you know, a situation and help a people. I know, um, you know, I'm in the NCAA volleyball tournament. We noticed that Texas, their team was wearing Black Lives Matter shirts, you know, in the warmups, that kind of thing. And I was great. I was happy, you know, to see that and and proud of them um, for doing that. But I think um, you have something with swimming that you're involved in with uh, Swim, is it Swim for Change? Yeah, Swim for Change. Swim for Change. He can tell you about that. That's something recent that swimmers have done. Go ahead. Let me me follow up, Annette, with with something, because what people we haven't talked about is your your daughter is kind of following in your footsteps um, as a volleyball player. She wouldn't wouldn't like this. She wouldn't like either. Really? Yeah. She's playing volleyball on her own. Yeah. But but she she is, from from what I hear from you all, um, she's making her own mark. Yeah, she definitely mm-hmm. acknowledge that. But we can't deny the fact that her mom played volleyball and was great. Right, at it, right, right. right, right. Um, but how do you how do you engage your daughter in this in this subject matter? Or have you talked to her about it? If, if there ever was a a time that came up, or did, that has that conversation ever come up with between the two of you? Well, she's a little activist on her own. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's. It's funny, she, it, I feel like she comes to us with more things um, or we, and we see her posting about and talking about, you know, you know, what makes her heart beat and what makes her upset and what's not right in this world. So um, I'm excited, you know, I, I think, you know, you could go two different ways as a parent, you know, is this gonna be offensive? right to people who might be recruiting her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for me i'm like this is her take it or leave it this yeah. is what she believes what she, what she feels and she wants the world to be a better place and i do too and we do too mm-hmm. so spread it tell it yeah <laughs> so, so so this ties into to the love description you gave byron about convictions mm-hmm. like it doesn't it's not just the convictions of the actual playing the sport but it's all that comes with that this is a part of her love for the game yeah. This comes with it, you know. Yeah. My, my my love for, for or my passion, my convictions, I should say, for um, standing up for what's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and we and I think and we celebrate that. Yeah. 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 I mean, just to to that point, you know, we feel our role with her in this in this context is um, to not take the tool away, but to to help her sharpen the tool and learn how to wield the tool correctly right that's good, that's good. and and all and so you know for for but but it's her own voice like i mean we, i we we could still go through her feed and be surprised like something will come up on the news you know and things and you know she'll she'll comment on it never really talk to us and things and, and, and about it but she she's already you know weighed in on it on the issue on her platforms right and um and it's it's cool to see that, that she has that dimension to her. 
Um, to your point earlier about the, the 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 news commentator who mentioned that you know shut up and dribble, the irony, man, I think in that is she's a news entertainer. She's uh, her 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 genre isn't even considered journalism. She's a she's exactly. a news pundit, a news entertainer, yeah. and she uses the 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 act of 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 sharing news as her news is her sport. Yeah. And what she says entertains a particular audience. So, so, so it's, it's interesting to me how a person could even just say that and at the same time uh, contradict the very thing that she's, that she's saying, you know, because of it. And I don't even think she realizes it. But, um, but I truly feel it's important, in, especially in this day and age, for no matter what platform you've been given, to recognize that uh, at every level, you are influencing, you're an influential agent for better or for worse. You have to decide, you know, what it's going to be, you know, and, and, and nobody gets a free pass out of this because uh, either you're going to intentionally be a part of the solution or by default, you're gonna add to the problem. And I think it's important for young athletes to, to recognize because I'm aware of that and because of social media and because of the spotlight going further now, reaching farther down into the age groups of the, you know, people are, are getting on the, the national and international stages in six, as, you know, sixth graders, right? Uh, it's it's going to be important, I think, for parents and for the supporting cast of that athlete to, again, teach them how to use their tool, right? And to, to help them sharpen and cultivate their tool, not blunt it. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Um, my, my last question is kind of a two-part question because you both of your kids, um, Victoria and Maya, played sports um, and were competitive and, and, and really doing their thing and, and the next generation of Davises that were excelling at in sports. Um, what advice, 1A, what advice would you give parents who, I'll say this, let me, let me preface it with this. One of my frustrations is with parents who, they participate in the machine in unhealthy ways. Because mm -hmm. it's almost like they want their kids to make it more than their kids want to make it sometimes. And I think sometimes parents can participate in the exploitation of their own kids and without even, without looking at the whole person, the whole kid. Like it's not just about sports. And when the kids aren't doing well in the, in the sports, the parents are angry, they come at the coaches, um, the kid doesn't get recruited this way, they're like they lose themselves, almost living vicariously through the kids. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one frustration of mine. And then you have some other parents who really genuinely want in a healthy way, how can I move my child along, get him the best, his or her, him or her the best opportunities um, and still stay balanced and focused um, on, on what really is important in life. What advice would you give parents um, who have uh, young athletes in, 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 in today, today's world, um, but especially during the pandemic with everything just out of the norm? Um, so, so, so 1A, what advice would you give parents in general? But then if, if, if and you can split it, one can answer one, one can answer the other. As coaches and as parents, how did you help navigate 
athletes through a time like this. Because we don't know if we'll experience, if this will be elongated, if this will be extended, or if we'll have another time, another type of pandemic, you know, year in, mm-hmm. in the future. So one question, advice in general, and two, navigating this, this, this COVID-19 pandemic year. So I'll do the first one, um, just advice in general. I think one thing my parents did really well. So like I said, my dad was an athlete, pro athlete coach. And yet I never felt like my parents were pushing me to be best athlete in the world or whatever. You know, they never, you know, you have to go practice this, 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 do this and all this extra. I think they let me be. And I, I love that. Um, they wanted me to experience different sports, you know, when I was younger. And by the time I got into high school, that's when I chose one, right? Because I can't be everywhere <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think the freedom um, and just to be able to experience so many things helped me to be more well-rounded. And kids are getting hurt much sooner now because they are specializing in sports really young um, and they're sticking to one thing. So their bodies are doing the same motions over and over again, which actually hurts them in the long run. That's a good point. So, you know, those are things that I feel like parents need to one, relax, (laughs) especially when they're little. Um, Who knows if they're going to be professional? Who knows if they're going to to go to the next level? But does it really matter? They're kids. You know, we talked about having fun and having a love of the game. Let them have fun (laughs) and let them enjoy what they're doing. Um, So I do feel like there's a lot of pressure from parents on these young kids to to do something that they may or may not do, or they may not may or may not like in the future because their parents are harping on them so much. You know, they're gonna and they're gonna do the opposite and make their kids hate what yeah. they probably would have loved had their parents not have been a certain way. So that's one thing I definitely appreciate about my parents. And one thing that we try to do with our kids is, you know, not have them start so young at certain things. Um, take their time you know, and kind of let it be more led, I think, by them more so than us. Um, and I'm not, you know, we're not perfect. Obviously, we're still trying to figure this thing out and what mm-hmm. the, that balance is. Um, but balance is important. I tell, you know, I'm a coach in, in college. And that's another thing for my student. When I have recruits ask me about our program, how much do we train, etc. I tell them, you know, volleyball is a sport. It's meant to have fun. We're, we're meant to have fun. Do I want to win? Yes. But do I want you to be in the gym five, six hours a day? No, you have a life. Enjoy it. <laughs> You're in college. You know, you should have relationships, friendships, um, go out and do things, be able to enjoy your life. And so for me, again, just remembering what this really is, it's a game. <laughs> it's a game. <laughs> Wise counsel. What I'm hearing from you is one, trusting your kids yeah. to a degree mm-hmm. that because yeah. if they really want to play, they'll play. Exactly. You right. don't have to pressure and push them <laughs> to, yes. to, to play. They'll, they'll play because this is the, the, this is what the essence of sports is. It, yeah. It's a game. If you enjoy it, they'll keep playing and they'll yeah. work on it because they want to get better. And then the other is trust, trusting God. Yeah. Trusting that 
this may not be what God has for them. Right. So right. kind of pull back a little, right? Yeah. And allow for God to 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 have space to mm -hmm. guide them, even when it doesn't look like that. Yeah. Because, you know, all things, God works all things together for the good. In other words, God can use anything to lead us in, in certain directions. So trusting the kids, trusting God, and, and recognizing they're a whole person is what I'm getting from your, your counsel, Annette. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. to, and to add to that, and then I'll jump to the second, um, you know, part B to the question, <laughs> is right now our daughter is also, uh, she's, uh, she's doing the whole driver's ed stuff and going through it. And this analogy just came to my mind on, on kind of how we're helping her through that process. Um, it applies to, to sport as well. And that is um, one of the most important and fundamental things we know in driving is that you have to learn how to read the gauges, right? You have to know how to read the gauge and uh, know, be, be able to look at and in the moment see, you know, where you are, where, where's, where, where's the speedometer at, you know, are, are you within the margin, the range that's, that's appropriate? You know, what does your, your gas thing look like? What does this mean? So teaching her to, to learn how to drive a car as, 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 a, as a parent, you know, we're teaching her how to read the gauges and then respond appropriately because the gauges tell us kind of give us a map or schematic of what's happening around us right so if we read the gauges right then we'll immediately follow that information up with the appropriate actions to sit to stay safe on the road so ultimately we get to our destination likewise i think as parents it's important for us to help our kids learn how to read the gauges in their sport so learn how to because by reading the gauges, what I mean is, okay, sometimes you're gonna deal with, the gauge tells you you're, you're dealing with an injury. So how do, you, how do you navigate through that injury, you know, in a way that honors God and that doesn't destroy your, your, your heart, right? Um, sometimes the gauge will read, hey, you're running low, you're on empty. Hey, so, so what's the appropriate response to that? How do, we, how do you nurture and prepare your body? How do you rest? You know, how do you, how do you eat? in that, you know? So a lot of times, um, you know, it's not just about pushing them to try to be the best or being totally hands off and saying, hey, look, you just do it. It's no, they're gonna be an experience, real stuff in the game, right? And so our role is to teach them how to read the gauges so that they make the right moves. So ultimately in their sport, they reach whatever destination God has for them. That's good, that's good. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he comes up with this. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I always enjoy talking to both of you, laughing um, and just learning from you as well. Um, I, I hope that the listeners enjoy this conversation, the, 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 the wisdom, the experience, the unique experience you have as athletes. I think um, we can all, we can all, benefit from. So thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and um, blessing us in this conversation on Intersections. Thanks thank for you. having us. You can follow both Annette and Byron on social media. On Facebook, just type in their names in the search Annette Davis, A-N-N-E-T-T -T Davis and Byron, B-Y-R-O-N Davis. On Instagram, at Annette Davis, A-N-N-E-T-T-D-A-V-I-S, 
and at Byron Davis number one, B-Y-R-O-N-D-A-V-I-S, the number one on Twitter. And it is at fit with Annette. That's at F-I-T-W-I-T-H-A-N-N-E-T-T and at Byron Davis number seven. That's at B-Y-R-O-N-D-A-V-I-S, the number seven. Don't forget, you can catch me this weekend on the Black News Channel show, State of Play, at 12 noon Eastern Time, Saturday, May 15th, and Sunday, May 16th. Thank you once again for listening and parking with me at the intersections.